Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. God grant us serenity to accept the things that we cannot change, courage to change the things that we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There is a well-respected marriage counselor, therapist, and writer uh, named John Gottman who posits that nearly 70% of all marital conflict is unresolvable. Nearly 70%, I'm saying it again for you, nearly 70% of all marital conflict is unresolvable, he says. He does not say that this means that 70% of the time we should be fighting or that 70% of the time you're supposed to hate the person you're with or that 70% of marriages should fall apart. He's explaining to us that there are certain things we cannot fix And especially there are things that we cannot fix about one another. Now I would say, one, that this idea of unresolvable conflict on such a high level is not exclusive to marriages. I would say that this is actually true about, well, I'll speak for myself and you can decide for yourself. You can do your own little count. I'd say that this is true for most of the relationships that I've ever been in. Friendships, professional relationships, whatever the thing might be. There are places where we're just not going to resolve the issue with one another. We just like different things or see the world in a little bit of a different way. But I will be honest with you that for so much of my life, just as Phil... I have spent so much time trying to resolve every bit of conflict there is. I have tried to completely and totally and utterly solve the problem. To fix the conflict. It doesn't work. At least not yet. I'm going to keep trying. But... um. But if we're serious, if we believe this, if we take this as a possibility that nearly 70% of conflict is, between people in relationship is unresolvable, it completely shifts the way we see the person with whom we are interacting. Because we can so often look at the person and think, I, you and I, we could be okay so long as you could just, mm, just change a little bit. And then we look at the person And all of a sudden, they're less a person and more a problem (laughs) to be fixed, to be solved. And we do this to ourselves, of course. We do this to ourselves. If only I could fix this and this and this about myself, these things would be resolved and I would finally be okay. And I would suggest that we do this with God. I want to remind you that throughout our scriptures... The relationship between God and God's people is described often as a marriage. And if that's true, 
nearly 70% of the issues we have with God are unresolvable. And how might that change our relationship with God? If we weren't thinking always in terms of how the issue could be resolved, either if God would get it together and become more understandable, or we would get it together and become the right kind of people. This problem that I'm describing is at the heart of the conflict that Paul is addressing in his letter to the church to Rome. Paul is talking to this group of Christians in Rome, the early church, and he's working with a group of people that have a very particular narrative of the world. They believe, first and foremost, that God is God and we are not. We are fundamentally different from one another. Kathy read from the prophet Isaiah today, one of the primary texts that remind us, God says, how far are your ways from my ways and your thoughts from my thoughts, says the Lord. We are so different, says God. And then God says, because when I speak, something actually happens. It's, like, it's, it's literally like one of the most beautiful poetic marital spats imaginable is God talking to the people in Isaiah. So we know that God is different from us. We know that we are not God and that God is different from us. But then we get into this mindset that if we could just understand God perfectly or, or, or if we could just become the right kind of people, then our relationship with God would be right and everything would flow smoothly from that. That what we're doing is we're making our issue, our relationship with God about issues that need to be solved, about problems, instead of about, instead of about being in the relationship. In Paul's context, as a person who grew up as an Israelite, he has a very particular view, which isn't that far from how many of us operate, by the way. He comes from this perspective of like, if God would just tell us what to do, we could do it, and then we would be okay with God. And such is the Torah in his understanding. The commandments, the law given by God. Here, do these things. And so he and all his friends and compatriots do these things. And guess what? There are still issues. They still have doubt. They still have conflict. They still have confusion. They still aren't sure if they are right with God. A bunch of them are still petty jerks, even if they're following the rules. And he says, wait a minute, I can try to muscle way my way through this and solve this problem, and it still doesn't work. Gottman says that when you get to a place of unresolvable conflict, which again, he points out, will be more often than you like, you have a choice. Will you engage in conflict? And sometimes that is necessary, I do know. But with the unresolvable things, hmm, he says, will you engage in conflict knowing it's unresolvable and trying to solve the person in front of you or solve yourself? Or will you seek communication and understanding? Will you seek to nurture and heal, to love and be loved? What I want to suggest to you today that is in our relationship with God. God is faithful to us. And God recognizes, as the one who made us, God recognizes. That there are many things between us that will not be solved. 
And instead of judging us for that, and instead of trying to make us feel miserable and ashamed about that, and instead of trying to fix us, God chooses to love us, to be present with us, to share life with us. What is Jesus Christ other than God's faithfulness in the flesh? Jesus Christ is God's response to the unresolvable conflict. Jesus in his life, his death, and his resurrection, yes, in his teaching, even in his teaching, the teaching we heard today, the parable of the sower, we, keep, we hear that story and we think like, you know, uh, oh gosh, what kind of soil am I? I hope I'm the right kind of soil, and if I'm not, maybe I'll change and be a different kind of soil, as if soil ever just changed itself and was like, I got to become better soil. The story is very clearly about the faithful God who is ex extravagant and with his love and, and, and throws the seed everywhere, not caring where it lands. And we'll come back out again tomorrow and do the same. We have a God who is faithful to us. We have a God who loves us as we are. And we are still trying to solve the problems that are unsolvable so that we can be loved by the one who already loves us. You are already loved beyond measure. And you're trying to figure out how to be loved. I know because I do it too. Paul uses a language in this text that so often is twisted and manipulated about living with a mind in the flesh or a mind for the spirit. And people read this oftentimes in things like a mind in the flesh is sort of like someone who's just thinking about worldly things and we shouldn't think about worldly things. We shouldn't be attached to our lives here in the world and all this and, and delicious food and wonderful people. We should be about the spirit. We should be thinking about heaven and when we, when we shuffle off this mortal coil and finally become the right kind of people, dead people, the right kind of people and, and be exactly sinless and perfect, that's what we should be thinking about. And I want to remind you that that creates boorish Christians. Like Christians who are intolerable. People who are not in love with this world and the people in it and are all constantly seeking how to get past it to somewhere else. I don't want to be that and I don't believe it is what God wants for us. Paul is talking, a mind in the flesh is a mind that thinks that we can use our body to muscle through the unresolvable conflict and make things right with God no matter what. We can't. The, in the text right before the one began today, right at the end of chapter 8, we start at chapter 9 today, right at the la in the last text, and Gary talked about it a couple weeks ago, there's this moment where Paul says, ah, oh, man, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do, and I don't know what to do about it, I'm a disaster. Ah, oh. and we go, yeah, me too. Now what, Paul? Tell us how to fix it. And instead of telling us how to fix it, Paul just says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. What? What a cop-out. Tell me how to fix it. Paul's not trying to get us to be fixed. And he's trying to get us out of the mentality that we are fixable. Or that Jesus came here to fix us. To solve us. There is a difference between being solved and being saved. There is a difference between being fixed and being loved. God loves you. 
God lives for you, dies and lives again for you. God saves us as we are, not fixes us so we can be savable. And those are different things. Now, many of us, many of us in this room have been quite successful at solving problems. And I want to say there's a place for it. It's not bad. Don't, well, Phil told me today that problem solving is bad. No, 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 we got to solve problems. I get that. There's a bunch of things we got to work on. I understand that. Us being ourselves is not a problem to be solved, though. And there are things that we cannot muscle our way through. We cannot use our bodies and our minds so strongly and so perfectly that finally we will be acceptable to God. Because we are already acceptable to God the God who loves us and is faithful to us. Thanks be to God in Jesus Christ. To have a mind set in the flesh is a mind set in the belief that you can use your body to make yourself perfect. And Paul says that leads to death. Death. When you try to make yourself perfect in relationship with others, when you try to make yourself perfect in relationship to God, when you think you've just got to keep working or else you cannot love and be loved, you are killing yourself, my friends. When you take a step back and recognize there are a lot of things within your relationships, professional, personal, romantic, lifelong, brief, all of it, in spiritual and religious, your relationship with God, there are places that are not going to be fixed. And you can grieve that, by the way. You can be sad about that. You can have all sorts of feelings about it. But when you recognize it, and recognize that within that unresolvable conflict, you can choose love, communication, and understanding with God and with one another, that leads to life. Real and true and nourishing life. This is the mind of the Spirit that Paul speaks of. There is no condemnation in it. There is no divorce from God in it. God does not throw you away or let you go or tell you, sorry, 69, 70%, that's too much for me. I'm out. God says, there's a lot of stuff we're not going to be able to work through in this lifetime. And I love you. There's a lot of stuff it's going to take an eternity to unravel. And we are in it together. And if we can understand that, and stop seeing ourselves as the problem and stop seeing others as the problem and stop looking for the problem within ourselves and start to recognize the beauty and the belonging and the blessedness with which we were created, with which this world is created. We can fall in love with this world and its people the way God has and we can be faithful to it in a new and life-giving way. And we can give ourselves over to this world not as a people born to fix it, but as a people born to bless it and love it and care for it. This is a way to experience eternal life here and now. In Jesus' name.